Welcome to the Cine Meh Podcast, a place to discuss and deconstruct perfectly average movies. Not good movies, not bad movies, just fine movies. So fine, in fact, you probably forgot they even exist. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. And while we may not be nearly as forgettable as these films, we probably run a close second. That's right. Adequate films for adequate folk. Josh, what do you got for me today? Welcome back to another episode of Cinema. Cinema. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, so I'll, I'll pause here. I was about to like literally jump right into it because I this this week's film uh, evoked a visceral reaction. Um, but before like we just uh, start jumping down the throat of this thing, Josh, do you have any cinema news for us today? Well, a couple things I guess to touch on real quick. I guess the, yeah. the big one is uh, the SAG after strike is over. This uh, is a big deal back to work. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is good news. It sounds like they got just about everything they wanted with uh, the pay and the AI protections. I was going to say, so we're not uh, going to be replacing actors with AI. Well, not, uh, not major actors anyway. Um, <laughs> I saw well, a Disney channel show, like a clip of like a Disney channel show. And if you look yeah. at the like audience, um, that's, those are not people. That's what they've been pointing to as this is what's going to take work away from like background actors is is that kind of crap. Sure. Which I'm like, I I get that idea. OK, I, I, I get it, but you better make it look good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we are fully five years away from it looking good. Um, but even then, I mean, there's there, there's a certain I, I still think that no matter how good A.I. looks. Um, it still falls a little bit into the uncanny valley and there's a loss of human integrity. And I think that most audiences can see and sense it. They can look at that and go, that's, it's just not real. And yeah. there is, I mean, even going back to just this idea of like, we've, we've touched on, on our other podcasts, like loneliness and in, in society, the more we use technology to replace people, especially in spaces like that, like I get that it's cheaper and whatever, and studios are heartless and ruthless, but like there's there's a loss of connection there, right? You you know you're not actually looking. You're not looking at a Mr. Joshua Rigdon at you know the seat at the table in uh, uh, Sydney White. No, that's right. Like I and what if they go back and edit me out, see, and replace me with an AI? I see. I they won't do that. But yeah. uh, I don't think it matters as much for background as it does for your principles. Uh, from from a consumer standpoint, for well, I mean, an artist standpoint. I can, you know, differently, but yeah, I mean, we, we definitely don't need any more young Harrison Fords. We don't No, That's we've got, that. We've got plenty of plenty of that. Right. Uh, speaking of Disney, it uh, looks like the Marvels has had an abysmal opening weekend. Who the hell didn't see that coming? Uh, yeah. And we can debate why I haven't seen the film yet, um, but, you know, we could debate, you know, is it because of the film? Is it superhero fatigue? Is it uh, missteps by Disney? All I know is that Deadpool 3 is the only 2024 Marvel release. Wow. That's saying something. I mean, I, we, we were at a point. I mean, so to be fair, like at the height of like phase three, phase four, you were getting two or three, well, three or four Marvel movies a year. It felt like, um, but Which they were too much. It's it's a bit. But I mean, phase five, like how the hell much crap came out in 22 and 23, like between the series and the movies, like it, it was it was overwhelming. So for them to shift back to we're going to do one release, I think feels like a an admission that we have oversalted the soup. Well, and again, the uh, you know, the strike 
caused the pushback on a lot of it. Um, they you know couldn't hammer is, out. That's a good thing. Yeah. They couldn't hammer out a, a blade script. They couldn't hammer out a hang, hang on a, a good blade script that they wanted. I should say th- th- that's the thing. I I I want to I want to touch on this real quick, and I I know okay. we're we're distracted, but uh, I, this this just needs to be the blade script, the series script. Did it, it's th- this is this is what I think Marvel's big. I don't want to say sin is right now, but this is a problem with it. Is that they use something that has like nostalgia member berries to draw an audience in. But then they hard pivot into a story that is not that thing because I don't think they have the confidence just to launch their own stories. Blade, in the series that as it was originally written by like episode two or three, was relegated to fourth lead. This is the Blade series and they push him out in favor of a very different storyline that I feel like the Blade audience is not coming in for. And And I, I remember everybody liked the Blade movies. The Blade movies um, were good. So, you Blade know, one the, especially. the early 2000s. Yeah. So, um, people so are just be fucking make cool. Blade. Just like, make how Blade. is it? And anyway. Just make Blade. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, test screenings for the fourth Captain America film went horrendously bad. So, it's going to go through <laughs> extensive reshoots. Um, Who is it? Is it Anthony Mackie? It's yeah, it's it's Anthony Mackie taking over as Captain America. Who but I, that's that's another one that you'll probably need to have seen Falcon and Winter Soldier. And, and that's to the get thing into is like, it. I, I don't hate Anthony Mackie. I think he could make a capable replacement. I do think Chris Evans is going to be hard to follow because I think he played the role with a lot of integrity. Anthony Mackie definitely has the chops. But um, yeah, I think most people are gonna, who are not following every single one of these things is like, wait, I thought this guy was Falcon. Yeah. So anyway, that's cinema news for this week's episode. Wonderful. Um, let's get hard into the nostalgia uh, and discuss this week's film. You want to introduce our uh, our guest commentator today, Josh? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thanks. Yes. Guys. Yeah. We 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 brought on for this episode. We brought on an expert in the source material because uh, this is a guy. He he. He knows. Yes. And knowing is half the battle. It is half the battle. <laughs> you know how to get put in there somehow. I, I didn't. He beat me to it. <laughs> I'm glad we got it out of the way already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd like to welcome our friend Mike to the show. Howdy. Hello, sir. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. There we go. It, no, it was you, in the movie once. It. I had to do it once. <laughs> we, we did it. We did yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. This week's episode, we are talking uh, the 2009 film G.I. Joe: The Rise of Cobra. Sorry, G.I. Joe: Colon The Rise of Cobra. Yeah. So this is this is Cobra's origin story. Uh, most of the film is about Cobra, and it starts with him as a child, and we just basically get to see him progress through his years of anger uh, and angst. Um, no, I'm kidding. That I actually think would have been a like, more you watched a different movie would have been a more interesting <laughs> film. No, this is <laughs> it's it's theoretically about the start of the Cobra Initiative, although I think it's called Cobra in this movie. What? Yeah. No, her the, name is. Anna DeCobray. DeCobray, right. Yeah. That is clearly Cobra kind of disguised. It's the Cobray Institute. It's not Cobra yet. Yeah. It's Cobray. It's, yeah. That was someone thinking they were way cleverer than they were. Like most of I this was, movie. They're not, not gonna... quite a ruthless terrorist organization determining to rule the world yet. They're not just yet. working on the name. It's but kind they, of where they're at. They do somehow have extensive underwater facilities uh, that I. 
I have lots of questions about how those got there. So and weird floaty sci-fi things. Yeah, we have a we have a lot to talk about with this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, Some things are best left unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the I feel like the the technology in GI Joe was always like near future, right? Like it 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 was like plausible, just not there yet, right? I mean, it, it, from what I remember, the cartoon, cartoon series, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there's like a like a laser gun esque uh, quality to a lot of their weapons. But I mean that that goes back to like a, a staple of the '80s, which was you had to have your bad guys and good guys using different colored lasers so that you knew yeah. who was shooting at each other. Um, but I mean to uh, to to put a, a finer point on this because it we're we're at risk we're at dangerous risk of jumping right into the material here. <laughs> uh, I'm holding back, okay. Purposely okay, holding yeah. back. <laughs> uh, no, Mike is very much a subject matter expert on this. Um, I mean, Mike, do you want to uh, give a, a little bit of your uh, credentials? Uh, yeah, in, in, yeah my, in terms my of my credentials. Your, your uh, yes, the, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I, um, uh, it was the toy that I grew up with. Like I fondly remember growing up with watching all the cartoons, reading all the comic books, which I, I, I will talk about in a minute. Yeah, um, uh, and then I. I you know, as you get older, you put your toys away. Um, I was blessed that my parents never sold them or gave them away. They just went up to the attic and stayed there. Um, and, uh, you know, COVID things happened. And I was like, you know what? It'd be fun to see those again. And uh, so I had them all shipped down to where I live now from my parents' house. And uh, uh, now they're all displayed. Some of them are behind me, even though people are, this is a podcast and not a video podcast. But uh, yeah, I've got majority of them now of the toys. And it's just, I, I like the, uh, I like the storytelling of, of, parts of it and i like just that fondness that that uh nostalgia right like you think about a, a warm and fuzzy time in your life and that's what it is so yeah and and i think it's your it's your knowledge of the the cartoon and especially the comics that um mm -hmm. <clears throat> puts you in a, a much better stance to talk intelligently on this movie than josh and i because like josh and i can go into this and uh like one of the fundamental questions we always ask at the end of these episodes this season is would you like this movie better if it was not it's right. it, it, it's it's intellectual property and i do have some thoughts on that but um <clears throat> you know for the most part i can't speak to how lore accurate is this right like how how right. well does it stick to i have some vague memories because I liked G.I. Joe as a kid, just not it, like my my principle was Ghostbusters. Right. So I can speak to Ghostbusters with a little more clarity. Uh, but G.I. Joe, I'm like, I, I remember it, but not the way that you do. So it's it's really cool to have somebody who knows this material like intimately with us. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for you know inviting me on. A hundred percent. So a brief uh, plot synopsis of this film. Yeah. Uh, when a army guy, Duke Hauser. <laughs> Uh, is transporting uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, he gets ambushed by Cobra and rescued by G.I. Joe and joins up with the G.I. Joe organization to take on a threat that they really have no fucking understanding of. Yeah. So, <laughs> one of my one of the, the first things that I say that I will say on this movie, this will probably be one of the few positive things I have to say about it. I actually think the plot of this movie is remarkably high minded. Um like there is a the the use of the like idea of a nanotech warhead is very fascinating sci-fi to me. And um, I, I think that there is a a depth of intelligence that went into the theory behind this film, but not its execution. And so every time I like sit down to watch this movie, the first thing I ask myself is, do I think this was always intended to be the G.I. Joe movie? 
or was this at one point a near future sci-fi thriller that ended up getting ham-fisted into the G.I. Joe conceit because this doesn't seem to fit as well with G.I. Joe as it does with a near future sci-fi. So um, I I enjoy the premise. That's about it. That's that's all okay. I've got. Um, my other my other plot uh, synopsis is uh, guy reconnects with his ex girlfriend and they hash out their differences <laughs> <laughs> in Paris. Uh, meets up with girl with brother issues. <clears throat> yes, there you go. Yeah, don't yeah, forget that one. That is that is the first thing that I do want to touch on and, and ask Mike about because I really right. want to know your theory of the case for the very twisted family tree that this movie introduces, wherein Duke was at one time engaged to Baroness, who is the sister of Cobra Commander. Yeah, so let's just you know rip that bandaid off. You uh, didn't say spoiler alert right beforehand, man. Yeah, if so. you've never seen this movie, it stars. <laughs> Uh, Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Stars you know, is a loose word. Fresh off the stepping up from <laughs> he the appears. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, no, like I mean, I really dig the cast of this film, it, and it is kind of a stacked cast once again. Um, it is. I feel yeah. bad about Christopher Eccleston because I'm like between this and Thor: The Dark World, he was probably like, you know what? Fuck all these comic book movies. I'm done. <laughs> Is that how he is that how he said it too? Uh well he that's that that's my Eccleston impression. It's pretty <laughs> I, I mean you, fantastic. You've got Dennis Quaid, Marlon Wayans, yeah. um I mean Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh there there's a couple of actors, actresses that I think we need to touch on because they can't like physically incapable of acting. Um we'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, I do want to hear the the thoughts on the very strange interconnected relationship that they set up in this movie because it's it is the crux of the movie, right? Duke's former relationship to Baroness that is revealed yeah. to be she's the brother of who becomes Cobra Commander. Like it's, and I think she's it's the a sister. Po- her brother. I'm sorry. Yeah. Then, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. She's not a brother. Um. This this uh, anyway. Yeah. Go, go ahead, right. Mike. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back it up before I answer that question because go I feel it. like we need to lay some groundwork on on the movie itself. Um, okay. Obviously, it's based on like the cartoon line and the toy line and yep. the comic book line. Um, and I'm gonna quote IMDb here real quick because this is why I find this funny. Um, according to one of the writers, they took their inspiration most, mostly from Larry Hama's comic book um, okay. and not the animated series. Um, the director or producer admits they feel that the Cobra organization depicted on the cartoon was probably the stupidest evil organization out there. Okay, keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> this this movie relates a lot more to like the first cartoon miniseries and the second cartoon miniseries that it does in anything in the comic books. There's little blurbs that they pull out of the comic books the Storm Shadow relationship with Snake Eyes, that's kind of been bastardized a little bit. That's from the comic book. There's a few other pieces from the pit. That's from the comic book. Um, but the giant underworld, all of that, uh, yeah. totally a cartoon basis. So going back to your question, the relationship, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> um, in the comic book, um, uh, Baroness was always in a relationship. Uh, well, first of all, she and Cobra Commander started Cobra. That that yeah. is how it starts in the comic book. Are in they related? The cartoon, it's no, no, no okay. not at all. No, all right, so her brother is later on. Spoiler alert: later on in the comic books, her brother ends up getting killed 
she thinks it's snake eyes and so she has a vendetta against snake eyes that's like issue 85 or something like that that's actually where you figure that out cobra commander is in no way related to it he has his own family and his own thing and he just kind of goes down a a negative path but that's there they just get together because they're both bitter people Uh, but don't get together get together but they're dating uh, she dates destro and destro makes the appearance and has dated destro the entire series on both the cartoon and the comic book so them doing this this weird trifecta relationship of everyone's was friends beforehand and then suddenly rex or joseph gordon lovett's uh, character implodes um yeah that's a very unearned moment that we'll come back to yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh and then suddenly, like, she has brother issues and then can't handle it. So it's like this, it's just a really, really weird. I, I They kind of explain why she turns later on. I don't want to spoil it too much if you guys want to talk about it later. But, like, I get it. But it, it, it also completely changes her character from any of the source material at all and makes you just wonder why they chose that that path, especially when they ended it on a on a cliffhanger, knowing that there was going to be a second movie. Right. Right. Like you, yeah, so why get rid of like the one of the most famous characters? I, yeah, it's really interesting that they decided I get to, rid of, but you know, yeah, they, they decided to do a re-education of Baroness in the last ten minutes of this movie, and I was like, I I thought she was like a key heavy, like that she is one she of is. the bad bad, and yeah. um, we we're gonna turn her into a good guy already before even the relationship with Destro really gets a, a chance to do any like. I have so many problems with Destro. Oh no, he's James McCullen. He's James McCullen. He's not I Destro. I yeah, that's right. They. Inject. I have a problem with that as well. Oh, oh God, I have so I will... many, so many problems with James McCullen. I. Well, let's start with the very beginning of this movie, where it's set in the 1600s. Anytime a movie starts with like a medieval flashback, you know there's a high chance that this is going to be a shit film. Yeah. <laughs> like, any yeah. film that has done that, you're like, okay. This is like, let's have something happen in the past and then fast forward 400 years and cue hip hop music for transition. Um, it's just, it's, it's the not it's, too it's distant true. future, actually. So, and it's, it's set in 2020. That's true. I saw that. We've, and Ryan, we've <laughs> we all know that what great year that was. We've called this out before about films that are not accurate. Uh, Rain of Fire also takes place in 2020. Rain of Fire did not get it right. Yeah. Does not hold up. <laughs> Does not hold up. There were not dragons everywhere. I think I would have noticed. Um, okay. Just as a, like, this is a, this is a complete aside, but like, I have been reading my Scottish history lately because, you know, I spent some time over there. It's, it's something that like, just in, in my own, like family lineage, I'm very close to it. The, the whole thing with the, the whole thing with the medieval opening, I'm like, this is, this this isn't, it's not even just not like lore accurate. It's just not historically accurate. This is not at all. This wasn't a thing. And for I them to, to continue that. to sprinkle in bullshit Scottish references with McCullen, like where he makes the comment, you really tossed the caber out of the yard. I want to be like, fuck you. Get out of here. No, we're not. We're not doing this. We're not. We are not doing this. Leave now. What, so. what about the, the Celtic command to fire? I, <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? Damn. <laughs> just it's all it was it. stupid. It's I unnecessary. Just, yeah. This is in one way where the cartoon actually did the lore better. There's an there's an there's an episode of the cartoon, actually two episodes of the cartoon where they went and did uh, they went to Scotland and somehow Destro was there in his castle doing things. And it kind of lays out the foundation as to why the not why the mask is in the family. And it's not this weird punishment thing. It's just it's their clan. Okay, but and and see, this is the thing is like when when storytellers 
have space to tell a story, that's when they get it right. That's when they do it better, right? So, like with with something like the the comic book series or or the cartoon, I, people like rag on cartoons, but. <laughs> I mean, original cartoon series that were a serial, they told deep stories because they had the breadth of time to do so, right? And so they could create... This is one of the reasons that people are, are so invested in the lore of uh, of some of these old cartoon series and, and uh, old entertainment series is because they did create very deep stories. It's, uh, it, it, it is fundamentally why Marvel worked when it when it was working was because these were characters that have very very deep established storylines that people are already connected to this movie just does not it it doesn't earn it it doesn't it does not it tries to do so many different things and so you get like eight ponds but no lakes right like it tries to create this weird this weird angry backstory for Cobra Commander. It tries to create this strange vendetta between like Duke and Baroness, but you just, you are never given enough of any one of those stories in particular to really feel invested in the emotional resonance that would have been required for this movie to have any kind of impact. And that's, that's key writing, right? You have to write something to care about the people that you're displaying. And Correct. none of it, other than just the namesake of the characters and just the familiarity I have with them makes me go, oh, okay, yeah. And then you're like, but you're breaking the rule of the character based on all of the lore written for what benefit? And there isn't any, right? And I think, I, I think that. yeah, no, no, it's exactly that. I think that's a key issue with this movie is that I, I do not care about these characters. And if I had a little bit more nostalgia for them, maybe I would have built in caring for them. But as a new, quote unquote, right. new audience member, at no point am I like, this is somebody that I, I can get behind. Maybe Snake Eyes might be the most interesting story that they tell in in the whole thing. But again, mm-hmm. that's another, they're try, they try and give us an origin story for him inside an already sort of densely packed plot. How many origin stories do we actually get in this? I mean, you get, technically you get three. or okay. Well, I guess maybe technically four origin stories because four, yeah. um, you've got... Cobra's origin, Baroness's yep. origin, Snake Eyes' origin, and uh, I would say McCullen and Destro. Yeah. What about Duke? Well, kind and I, it's yeah, I it's guess kind of intertwined yeah. with Baroness and, and yeah. Rex. Yeah, right? he's all Rex. he's all connected. So when you do the Rex. when you do the these flashbacks, which they don't make sense throughout the film, no. Uh, but they just throw them in there, and you're like, oh, okay. But then you've got Snake Eyes flashbacks too, and you're like, oh, okay, what are we doing? Whose story are we following? Right. Like you could have just said Storm Shadow killed his master. He took a vow of silence and move on. However, those two characters and that rivalry um, is the best part of the film. I, I I'd agree yeah. with that. I, I they're they're the only time that I, I feel like something interesting is happening. And um, there's something to me of all the characters to make a turn at the end. I think they set up Storm Shadow to be the one that would turn to the Joes. I don't know how accurate Mike, this is something you can comment on. I don't know how accurate mm-hmm. his character is as it, as it applies to like wh- what he is in the comic books or in the cartoon series. But I appreciated that he had rules that he wouldn't cross, right? Like we get the whole moment right. with Zartan where he runs the, the woman through and he's like, Oh, that's right. You don't kill women. <laughs> Look how evil I am. And, and Storm Shadow is terrible. Yeah. Z- I, I have commentary on Zartan. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> But we are set up with a storm shadow that has a clear code of like a, a code of honor, whether it's a good one or not, that's yeah. to be determined. 
but he's the one that I feel like they did set up to make a turn at the end. I I think that his turn would have been more earned than Baroness. We're just going to drag all the killer robots out of your brain and you'll be back to normal. So anyway, Mike, yeah, tell me about Storm Shadow. So Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes are intertwined in the comic book, not so much in the cartoon because it's being a mute uh, for Snake Eyes, like it's it's hard to animate that, and they didn't. They yep. could have done it, but they just didn't really do it. So uh, Storm Shadow in the comic book was always uh, paired up with a character named Spirit, okay. um, and and they got to hash it out. And Spirit was like a shaman, like Native hmm. American. So he he he. They both would kind of talk words of wisdom on each other, and they both had their own kind of code of fighting ethics and stuff in the cartoon. And that was it was done fairly well. In the comic book, it's much more intertwined. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow actually served in Vietnam together with a bunch of other previous Joes. Oh, yeah, it's deep. It's like it's real deep. Um, uh, uh, After the war, uh, Snake Eyes' family gets wiped out and he just doesn't know what to do. So that he goes and I may be mixing up the order here, but essentially he goes to Japan to um, to learn. Uh, karate, right? Be- become a ninja man, whatever, whatever you want to yep. call it. Uh, undefined ninja. Um, where, <laughs> um, because of uh, Storm Shadow, um, which is cool. So one thing about Storm Shadow is the character's name in the movie and all across all, all platforms is, is Tommy Arishnikaga. And Arishnikaga is Japanese for Storm Shadow, which is cool. Yeah. So the last, the last oh. name, I think that's neat. Yeah. Okay. But, so it's their clan has a like training camp. And huh. there are the... the the hard master, the soft master, the blind master, and there's another one that I'm, I'm forgetting. Um, so basically what happens is the hard master ends up getting killed, very similar to what happens in the movie. And um, uh, everybody thinks it's Storm Shadow. They chase, it turns out Storm Shadow actually joins Cobra to find out who actually did it because he found out it was a hit job in in um, the temple or in the, their clan. And Cobra is one behind it. So in the comic book, Storm Shadow becomes a good guy. And it was and always this, a good guy. This story gets retconned a little bit in G.I. Joe Retaliation in, in the okay. film. So, okay. Yes. Haven't watched that in... Well, so they they so. were setting Storm Shadow up to become a good guy. And, and it sounds like that's actually semi-lore accurate even. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit. Uh, but yeah. he... Uh, yeah, his, his performance is fantastic. Uh, give Ray Park anything to do in a film and i enjoy it ray park as guys <laughs> was just fantastic because he's just he he can emote in silence so and, uh, it, when i first started working with ray park at disney um it was right after he'd done gi joe and so um ray park when he did uh star wars was much um narrower in frame mm-hmm. when he came off of gi joe he was a fucking brick wall yeah and so any he was big. So um, he, it, it was kind of fun. Like when we would, when we would do stuff on stage, he was like learning as he went that like some of the acrobatics that he used to be able to do weren't as easy in his larger form. And I, I specifically remember him complaining to me one day about, he's like, yeah, I just don't fit into my five Oh ones anymore. He's talking about his Levi jeans because his legs were so thick. He could not get into his Levi's anymore. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of trivia where he talks here about training for the role because of having to do these movements in the rubber suit. Yeah. And just like how that was, was more difficult because of the weight mm-hmm. of, of the suit and loss of, uh, I guess, loss of mobility. Yeah. Oh yeah. But so this film is a Steven Summers film, by the way, I feel like that shows. 
Well, Brendan Fraser shows up. Let's point that out. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) once again, love, love, love Brendan Fraser's cameo in this movie. I adore that whole scene. (laughs) Well, I love that Zartan is is the mummy, right? (laughs) Going back to Arnold Oslo is here, and then The Rock would star in the sequel, and we all know Rock was in Mummy 2 as the Scorpion King. Yeah. Um, It's, I, so yes, I enjoy when Sergeant Stone shows up for yeah. a training montage and then he pieces out he's never done. see him again nope and i Roll. was like you could have been somebody rolls in on his can-am spider <laughs> makes a couple of comments and then he's he's out of there they, they really made his entrance look as cool as possible for writing in what he's writing in on but it's like yeah. slow motion like you're like dude you're not even writing in fast like i'm not even interested in what you're writing like <laughs> Is it like yeah, because you're older? Like it's like you're heavier right now. Like you don't want to fall off. Like what? Are you just not comfortable on it? Because it's just like, like boop. Like and then he got up. Are they jokes? Are no, sir. They're jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest. What? Why is heavy metal British? By the way, why? Why? Why was heavy metal British? That that like, because they really wanted to. I, I think in the film they really wanted to emphasize that it was a multinational. Yeah. organization right i knew the answer i just didn't want to hear it it's, it's <laughs> well and that's one of those things it's like i think that's a change that's okay right if you think about when yeah i didn't making this movie um the so zartan you guys have problems with zartan let <sighs> me tell you i yeah loved zartan in this movie because he's entertaining to watch but he is also got his own thing going on that you don't really know you're like, what, oh yeah, it's a setup for sure. Like it's all yeah. focused on the warheads, but you're like, what? What's this other? What's what this is other this thing other? Happening? So, which I think it was brilliant. My theory of the case is that there were supposed to be three GI Joe movies. Okay, um, that's what I think. That that's what I think. Um, they was originally supposed to to happen. Whether or not anybody in Hollywood will admit it, I think that this was supposed to be a trilogy. Um, and I think they went way way because actually that's your sixth origin story. They went way too hard in the paint of we're going to set up a bunch of things in this Mm -hmm. movie and hope that we get all of our sequels greenlit to follow this through. Because um, Zartan is a character that I think they wanted to set up as this very strange man of a million faces imposter, right? And then we see him create more chaos in two and then my guess is would have been the main villain of three. But as it stands, what, what what happens? What 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 happens with this guy? Well, his I mean, all his scenes are, you know, they're, yeah, they're very tiny, but they hint at a greater yeah. mission beyond just the the warheads and, mm-hmm. you know, maximizing profit, which is right. what seems like Mc, uh, McMullen is all about. Yep. And I like that. I like that power twist. At the end of this movie, I do like how, you know, he, he thinks he's on top of the world with it all. And then um, he's like, nope, surprise. You're going to work for me, the Cobra commander. Yeah. And I am going to run this plan. And you're yeah. like, oh, the warhead plan. You're like, oh, no, no, no. That was just part of it. The, the bigger the bigger plan is Zartan. And just even when he goes under the, the facial reconstruction thing mm-hmm. and just even when he's like, oh, one more thing. I'll control my own brain. Thank you. I thought that was a cool moment. I did actually like that moment. Yeah, it's really cool. And I'm like, he is a compelling bad guy. And partly because we barely see him. Well, And and so much so where you actually forget about him 
Yeah, that's the, the problem, the though, is you yeah. forget that he's part of all of this. Like, it, it, the, because they develop so many threads throughout this movie, this movie has a hard time keeping track of its own logic, which is one of my huge issues with the Neo Vipers. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of who Zartan eventually becomes, Jonathan Price does his best to hide the fact that he is painfully, painfully British as the American president. And I don't think he does a good job of it. I yes, like, why everyone knows he is the governor from Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like he, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, Escape from New York, where they picked a British actor to play the United States president into that, and he had to fake having an American accent. Um, and I'm like, why, why do we keep doing this? Like <laughs> there, the, the, there's just not enough. There's not enough Americans out there to do. Uh, apparently there just isn't. Yeah. Who don't look stately enough for some, anyway. Um, Since we're kind of talking about characters here too. Like I want to talk yeah. about Zartan. So Zartan's character is really, really cool in, in the comics. Okay. Um, less, a little less so in the cartoons. He's a cool character, but they're both supposedly masters of disguise. I saw yeah. no mastery of disguise here. I saw him put on a costume or, you know, the out the uniform of somebody before he runs CoverGirl through who CoverGirl isn't given a name, which is really sad. Um, I have commentary uh, on CoverGirl. Uh, I, I will. It may, I'll let you go first because it may be the same one that I'm going to say. But um, uh, and then and then he gets his facial reconstruction done, yep. which is still not being a master of disguise. You're just physically being changed. <laughs> but, in, but in the comic book, he has a way of like hypnotizing people around him to look and act a certain way. So they actually do this cool, like not kind of Wayne's World, like over his <laughs> over his face in the cartoon, like and he becomes different people. And like it's all about this like hyp hypnotism and stuff where it's obviously it's a little sci fi there. Um, but so Zartan, like I liked what they were kind of doing, but. It, it like he's supposed to be this master of disguise if you know anything about the character and he's just not he's just he, i mean anybody could just don a costume and be somebody it, else it's called halloween changes clothes a couple so times yeah. <laughs> smoothly yeah that's true it's but true. no i think it's just great because he's in the background of a bunch of these scenes you know like mm -hmm. he's in the lounge on the sub with Destro. Yeah, yeah. He he is in the you know he's in the NATO meeting when he's doing the pitch about the warheads. Like he's, I just like Was how he? he. Yeah, he's he's in behind. Yeah, he's behind Eccleston when oh, he's introducing them. Yeah, he's just standing there in a suit. Like he's. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, Again, though, his character is all set up in this mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, nothing pays off, and so I'm just bored. Well, this is the rise of Cobra, not the rise of Destro. <laughs> Not the rise of uh, Zartan. Zartan. Not the rise of, you know, the fall of Destro. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So talk to me about the Neo Vipers. The Neo Vipers are those berserker soldiers, right? The 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 guys that had no, like, all their fight or flight responses. Were That's like, exactly you know, it. That's exactly. Okay. That is exactly what I want to talk about. Okay. So this is this is where this movie, I feel like it loses track of its own writing and its own ideas several times. And the Neo Vipers are the one that like when I go back and watch this movie from a critical standpoint and I'm I'm really listening to the words that are being said and, and trying to like put all the logic together. The Neo Vipers really pissed me off. <laughs> um, so we are introduced to this idea that they have nanobots in their heads that disable their fear response, disable their pain response, disable their morality, right? Like they are the, it, from what they lay out, 
every single one of them should have performed. They, they should have taken performance notes from Arnie as the Terminator. That's how they should have played the role was basically mechanically because they anything that makes him human has been turned off. Mm-hmm. We see the, the movie play with this idea for about two and a half seconds where the, one of the Neo Vipers is on fire, but still coming after heavy metal. And what does heavy metal do? He sticks a grenade on the Neo Viper's collar. And what does the Neo Viper do? He goes, Mm -hmm. and before his head blows off, that's a fear response. Not supposed to have those. Uh, Somebody knocks one of them down the endless hole in the pit. And you hear the guy go, all the way down. Fear response, not supposed to have it. Anytime one of them gets punched, because there's a lot of hand-to-hand fighting in this scene, you hear it, that's a pain response. It's not supposed to hurt it. So the whole time within minutes of being introduced to the neo vipers we see them break every rule that the neo that's supposed to make the neo vipers terrifying these things should the, the guys should have been completely mechanical in their performance they should have been able to just get like the shit beaten out of them and have no reaction that would have made them more interesting and more chilling that would have made them like then you could have played with the joe's response of oh my god it doesn't matter like until you kill one of these things they literally don't stop coming and that nothing makes them afraid. Nothing like slows them down. They just don't stop coming. That would have been interesting, but that's not dramatic in the fight scenes. So instead we get Neo Vipers that are very much afraid of certain things and very much feel certain pain responses. Uh, the end. No, I'm, I'm so glad you, you touched on this because that was, that was definitely going to be one of my major sticking points was the uh, lack of consistency. Right. Um, yeah. I I also had a flaw because I um I didn't track, I didn't count because they made a big point to be like we've got 20 of these guys. One of them in Washington. It's like right. okay, so we've got 19 of them here, 19 of them. And I didn't count how many we fought and killed in the assault on the Joe base. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how a many lot. they ended up with. I, I'm like, there was probably, I'm like, I don't think, I don't, I don't Someone know. Someone was copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, yes. copy paste. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like them at the beginning when they first attacked um, Duke and Ripcord, which I have another problem with Ripcord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> many problems. Um, uh, that they like, they seemed impossible until really the Joe team showed up, even though the Joe team didn't have anything, I, I would say, special, more specialized than, you know, they, yeah. the, the Marines all had like air 15s and like 50 cals and some other stuff. And they still couldn't knock one down. Joe show up and it's just like, bink, 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 done. And you're like, really? It's the, the but they're shooting. They weren't prepared for the Joes. I, like Scarlet's weapon is a crossbow. Like, it's a crossbow. how does that, how does that take it down? <laughs> like, and, Five five six ammo? No, ain't gonna do it. Crossbow wasn't prepared for that one. Yep, um, I didn't so like that inconsistency. Coming. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's 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 many inconsistencies. Uh, a lot of their heads got blown off, which I did find slightly amusing, though. Lots of them yeah. lost their heads. Yeah, yeah. I feel but, like that's a good nod to uh, the action figure because we all know our toys back then. You could pop heads off <laughs> of everybody. I'm not the saying old, you not did. GI Joes. No, not GI Joes. They were they were in a bowl joint. You had you would have to unscrew them and take them apart to do that. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. That's lame. <laughs> I mean, the newer the ones that were made around the time of the movie, you might be able to. I've got some over here, but could probably Heck yeah. go grab one. That's what I'm talking about. I actually have a Neo Viper that no one will buy from me, so it's weird. <laughs> Just you need to market it. Market it's it be like this it's is actually eBay. more accurate, and yeah, yeah, you will yeah. not scream when you throw it down a shaft. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll go just go drop it later and see if it makes any noise at all. And I'll be like, oh no, that's actually much better. Mike would be like, you never believe this. There's a squeaker in the action figure when it drops from a line of depth. It squeaks. I'm so furious. You know, so Ryan, you were, you were going to bring up oh, Covergirl. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Real quick on the toy idea. Why was it that nobody ever put like, you know, you remember those like whistling footballs, whistling Nerf balls that you mm-hmm. could throw? Mm-hmm. Why did nobody put such a whistle into the chest of like your your bad guy enemies so that you could drop them and then go as they drop? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah, that'd be neat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, yeah, even better. <laughs> That'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, well, we do. Yeah, we do need to talk uh, characters okay. a little bit. Yeah. So, so we'll start. We'll start with CoverGirl, and and unfortunately, I I don't have nice things to say here. Uh, she can't act. Um, like, I I I'm not sure what happened here, but uh, I, like there there almost seems to be like physically can't act. I, like I, I, I was, I, I remember her, her inability to act being so jarring as to take me out of certain moments. Like when she gets run through, I feel like that should have been something, but she's just so dead eyed and slack jawed when it happens. Like, I'm like, Oh, have you ever been run through? Like maybe her, that's, that's, that's what happens. Her death is exactly what it needed to be. Have you, I mean, did you listen to the way she delivered any of her dialogue and delivering dialogue is being generous. She said words (laughs) like there's just, she read the cue card off camera. Cause here's the thing. I hate the dialogue in this movie. I think the dialogue in this movie is terribly written. It is one of my big issues with the film from a meta standpoint is I think it is very, very poorly written. Um, It's incredibly stilted and uh, it, it really often thinks it's more clever than it is, but I give a lot of the actors in this movie, a lot of credit for really doing as much as they can with what they're given. Some of uh, like, I, I look at some of the interactions between Scarlet and Ripcord where it's very much, Anakin and Padme in terms of how the romance is written. Um, but I, I think they really tried cover girl. I don't ever believe tries. And uh, I, I just, every time she was on screen trying to say words, I was like, I, you needed to find somebody different. Like you just needed <laughs> well, to find someone different. She's it's always a non dynamic like role. Yeah. yeah she no. just has to deliver. <sighs> she has to facilitate the plot moving forward. I, I, Yeah. That's, um, here, here, here's the thing about CoverGirl that she's actually an interesting character in the the cartoon and her toy. So, so one of the cool things about GI Joe, and when we're talking yeah. about what stood it apart from all well, most '80s toys, is that each card was actually written as a dossier to define the character and give them background why they're in GI Joe. Yes, okay? and the, most of them were written by Larry Hama, who wrote the card, uh, the comic book. Who, oh, cool! Um, right, so most of so all of that he was able to develop most of the lore of GI Joe. Um, so uh, CoverGirl's backstory is that she was a supermodel, hence CoverGirl, yep. that got bored with being a supermodel and wanted to join the military. <laughs> Interesting. The, chi- I, I, the chick who plays CoverGirl, the chick who plays CoverGirl, is a former model who wanted to do acting. Yeah, she should go back to model. <laughs> it, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't always work out. I like uh, that they did that. They put that in there. I thought that was neat. She just wasn't good. I mean, that's a rare moment of uh, authenticity right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think we can celebrate that. Well, so then why not somebody like Rebecca Romaine who had, 
who had chops at that point, right? Like she did a very capable job as Mystique in the X-Men mm-hmm. movies. So yeah, why not want her to take a step down from doing that to like, hey, we need you to get killed by uh, the mummy. I mean, everybody's that... got a mortgage to pay. OK, <laughs> <laughs> she's doing fine. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a good point, but I, but I mean, no, she's she's an established <clears throat> brand. She's a good actress. She knows how to handle herself on screen. Um, like there are models that have made that jump. That's the thing. It's it this. It's not an impossible move to make, right? Like there mm-hmm. there are models who have made that clear leap from runway walking to actually being able to put on a performance. Covergirl doesn't do it, and, and and I think one of the reasons that that I'm like hung up on it is because I actually think her lack of acting chops pulls focus. That's that's the issue is that I, I actually think she's bad enough that in the scenes that she's in, she pulls focus where she should not be pulling focus, which is. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because you have Dennis Quaid on the other side that is doing his best, <laughs> giving so much legitimacy to his scenes, you know, right. trying. Yeah, he. Yes, exactly. Um, this movie commits a sin that I've talked about before. Uh, If you remember when we talked about the Ghostbusters reboot and about burying the joke to death. Yes. um, There's the line where he's like, they they find out where Cobra is and everything. They're like, oh, we have to go get him, but we have our orders. And he's like, I said you had to get back to base. I didn't say which route you had to take. Oh, yeah. Stop there. But no, they make it worse because then it's like, oh, no, we need to explain the audience. And Scarlett goes, ooh, maybe a northern one. I'm like, that was implied. (laughs) <laughs> that was already implied in the conversation. Uh, once again, this is this is this is where the writing of this movie is. It's just fucking terrible. It's, the writing it, is bad. It's on this one movie. of the writers is the guy who wrote Three Hundred. Well, and that's why? there's not a lot of plot to that. I, there's, fair enough. Yeah. All right, yeah. But fair no, enough. I think that's why. Actually, I think that's why he got hired for this is because they were like, "Hey, you did Three Hundred. That was pretty cool. Come do this." Can can we all can we all can we all agree that the I've been thinking I've warned you about that is played out. It's done. It's over. Mm-hmm. We don't need that exchange in a movie for the next 50 fucking years. Like the fact that that comes up within minutes of this movie beginning. I was like, Jesus Christ. Everybody, everybody it knows is. this exchange. It's so tired. I'm so yes. over it. We're like, oh, we get it. You're two buddies who riff on each other. Like, OK, Um it's written as if by somebody who has uh, heard or read that that happens in a communal setting. Two friends, three friends riffing on each other, but never actually experienced. That's how yeah. I would describe yeah. the writing. Like, this is this is how military guys talk to each other, right? It, yeah. yeah. Or- well, and it's it's even it, it's it, they they so one of the one of the um, cardinal sins of dialogue is if your dialogue sounds like dialogue, it shouldn't sound that way. Mm-hmm. And the after the pit gets assaulted and like Scarlet's having her whole mo- oh, oh we finally get to see a moment of vulnerability from our Spock character or whatever in you know and and Ripcord comes up to her uh, and she's like oh, my my neck just doesn't seem like it you know that big of a concern and he goes you have a reason to be concerned nobody talks like that yeah like yeah. his it, it, the, that's the thing is he's trying to schmooze her all right. It's not, it's, it's nothing about that moment is real. Okay. I, it, nothing about their romance period is real. It's actually no, kind of gross. No, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's so, oh my God, I could pick it apart all day, um, but we have only so much time. Uh, so uh, the, I think we should add another sin okay. to the book of dialogue sins that is very specific to movies like this, where you have to fan service 
the audience. <laughs> like you have the, to give them yeah. their fan service. Uh, he was government issued. And we're like, oh my god, I fucking get it. Like that's, he didn't have to say it. That's another one that I I I feel like is is a tired played out line. The fact that they did manage to get in, and now we know, and knowing is half the battle. Okay, yeah. do yeah, it yeah, once, yeah. fine. They did it like three times. They got so government issued. It, you know, it stands for GI and GI Joe, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah. But they also, right before that, they talk about, um, man, your hair is so lifelike. You got Kung Fu grip to, to I think, heavy metal. Is it heavy metal? They yes. To? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's in the 1964, like, GI Joe. Wow. Like, really that's bringing some fans. It's a, it's a, it's, it's in there, but it's also like, it wasn't needed to be in there. Like, yeah, it's like battle grip to- would have been really more appropriate since that's the source material that they're trying to like actually be a part of <laughs> yeah like do you think there were like grizzled old gi joe fans in the theater they're going hey, hey they said it they said the thing <laughs> no like i guarantee it was all an eye roll like from the audience there's like ah from the writer too but that's uh, and, and we've talked about this this season is who is this movie made for was it made for because if the movie was simply supposed to be fan service for GI Joe fans, I think they failed because like it's it's just not lore accurate enough for it to just be a movie for GI Joe fans. If this is a movie to bring people into the GI Joe fandom, I think they failed. This like was a this was a movie to sell tickets and toys. <laughs> this was Hasbro going, hey, Transformers has worked out pretty well for us. Uh, what else we got? GI Joe. <laughs> Let's do it. Which, you know, I'll tell you the G.I. Joe movie that I think is a better G.I. Joe movie than G.I. Joe. The Expendables, right? Like Mm, it's it it is it's a big action packed cast of heavy action stars who all kind of have their own sort of like weird, quirky little, you know, individuality. Um, And and and, and it works, right? Like they 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 just they decided to make a movie of pure machismo and and it makes no apologies for that. And it's it's perfect in in that way. It's it's just a good action movie. Well, I think the difference too. I'm sorry, but the the, the difference is the difference is that it's it's a smaller scale, right? The, the, they're, they're going, it's not world domination Mm -hmm. or destroying Paris, right? In the expendables. Yes. Which goes back to my point earlier that I thought was funny in the, in the IMDb trivia of they wanted to focus more on the comic books for source material because the one in the cartoon was ridiculous. But what is this? What is, what is the movie's plot? Like this ridiculous, like let's shoot nanotechnology and destroy parts of the planet to like, Oh, scary nobody to give us money as opposed to a smaller plot, smaller scope, which is actually what the comic book was more like. It wasn't this global takeover, just like the expendables. Right. And that's what I think is kind of interesting about the third act of this movie is you go from this really ridiculous plot which is basically summed up in Eccleston's line where he's like, I've learned the lessons of my ancestors never get caught selling to both sides. I hated that line too, because that's another one that's just tired, but go on. Yeah. But it's like, you're like, Oh my God, this is this, this, this evil plan is so stupid. And by the book, like this is a played out evil plan that gets (laughs) that, that gets spun on its head when the doctor decides to take over. Yeah. And you get, you get this layer. And I mean, as, as weird as the characterization is of Cobra commander in this movie, I do love Joseph Gordon Levitt's portrayal. Yeah. I do love what he brings to the role and the way he plays it up. And just the, the, like he's an unapologetic character. You're, you're even like, Oh no. Like when we thought he died, uh, no, he, he, 
yeah, he got attacked, but he uh, he defected. He just full on defected. Which was a thought. weird character point that just came out of nowhere, it's, right? It, because yeah, he watched like, like, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, yeah, there, there's there's nothing explained. Nothing is earned. It's just like he sees the stuff and he's like, oh, that's that's really cool. I want to do that. Yeah, I want to be a terrorist now. Um, <laughs> but like you see all the medals he had when uh, what's his face uh, proposed and they're like, oh, hey, ha ha ha. Like, great. Like, clearly he's a vet. And right. like to just be like, hey, just like that, you're no longer caring about your country and you want to be a, 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 ter- a terrorist and all that. I'm like, that's a well, that was no I didn't expect that, but that shouldn't have existed. And and, and it's actually it, it I, I think it's actually fundamentally demeaning to injured veterans, because how often do we hear stories of men who have been harmed in battle, like mm-hmm. tragically, you know, like in ways that fundamentally impact their life for the rest of their lives? And they they remain very uh, very loyal to their cause and, and oh, to, yeah. you know, right. Like there's, it, it's, it, it is, it, it's almost harmful to that narrative that he would, there'd be an accident, right? There was a, a battlefield accident, right? Like the airstrike came too early. Um, Duke gave him a timeline. It was the wrong timeline or the planes, you know, had a little too much juice on there. Who the hell knows? But that was all it took for a decorated veteran a decorated, you know, combat scientist to be like, nah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and take over the world now. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, I, I weird mean, character development there. When opportunity knocks and disfigures your face, go for it. I think um, a missed opportunity was not to have Dr. Mindbender. Cause you see him in the bunker for a minute. Oh yeah. And he acts, <laughs> and he acts weird. And I love that. But like why he didn't show up later, like in the normal time, not the flashback time. Yeah. Like just in the background, bald head, kind of wearing the monocle like his character does like that would have been a cool just throwback like oh, yeah, like, oh hey there's mindbender <laughs> it, 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 and i would say the movie kind of sets you up to think that that's who that is right yeah oh yeah the, the doctor is because yeah they they borrow his characteristics in fact and then he's you, just like i perfected mindbender's research and you're like well where, did you kill him where'd he go <laughs> if yeah. you have if you have the captions on he's referred to as doctor yeah. Until until the Cobra Commander turn. Yeah. And so like it the movie almost does set him up to for you to assume that this is Dr. Mindbender. Yeah. Well they even it's throw a, in like the weird monocle thing that's on yeah, his mask. Exactly. Whole, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um oh speaking of physical characteristics, I wanted to ask you something, Mike. Um Duke Hauser, he um he famously has the scar. Yeah. And like on the action figure, it has the scar and everything. Yep. Um is that was that initially like a defect in the toy manufacturing that they capitalized on or they were like no this is a copyright thing this is going to make sure they don't people don't like try to copy this that's exactly what it was so in the 64 in the like the modern the little the three and three quarter ones from the 80s they didn't have that there was like a throwback figure that they created that had the scar that was kind of a scaled down 12 inch figure but it's it's from the 64 GI Joe 12 action, 12 inch action figure is what it actually is from. Um, okay. And I, and I think that's just their little nod to throw it in there to try to like, Hey, we want all the GI Joe in this <laughs> and let's just jumble it up and let's see what works. And we're going to make them as comic book accurate as possible, unless it conflicts with anything else we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so just the scar, sir. Just the scar. Yes. Just a scar. Yeah. Um, I, the, can we talk about Paris? Paris pissed me off. I hate. I've got everything one about line Paris written sequence. for Paris. I, I hate it too. I hate it so too. But I, I let me. I, I mine is going to be the shortest criticism here. I promise. Let me tell you what what pissed me off about Paris. It's twenty minutes. That that sequence yes. goes on for twenty fucking minutes yes. of a two hour runtime. 
Jesus Christ, get off it. That is, it, it, it is, that, that whole sequence lasts way too long. Go on. My, my only commentary was it would have been better as soon as Ripcord put on the suit to be like, woman, where is my super suit? And then just <laughs> leave it. That would be great. The asking Scarlet, and then just super suit. <laughs> yeah, just go on from. The, I was expecting it because that's kind of how he was delivering those lines to Scarlet earlier, and I'm like, well, it's super condescending. Might as well throw that one in there. Might as well. Yep, love it. Oh, that's great. Uh, the other the thing suits. I got from Paris, well, I hate the suits too. Uh, the was suits that you can stand me. next to large explosions and survive. That's a life lesson I got out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Never mind that the concussion would jumble your organs. That's a no, no, no. no. Well, this is a high velocity, high impact suit. It could do a ton of shit except handle pasta sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did not think about it. Okay. Yes. No. All right. Paris breakdown. Yeah. Go for um, it, Josh. So they tell Scarlet, he- heavy duty tells Scarlet to suit up. She never does. No. She gets on her motorbike. She gets on her a motorcycle for two minutes yeah. and then loses the motorbike and is back in the van. Yep. She so has a cool leather jacket, all. though. I'll give her that. It's a great leather jacket. Jacket's yeah. fine. She looks great. Like, I, that, that's the best I can say about her. And anything I've seen that actress in is she looks great. Uh, <laughs> the suits and uh, Duke's ability to use the suit in contrast with Ripcord's inability to use the suit. Well, hang on um, now. Duke is in the top half percentile of anybody they've ever tested. So he's just naturally good at everything. So he, he's, he's good at killing shit. Great. Great. Okay, cool. And he read the manual uh, <laughs> at some point. Manual. Yeah. We got, we got There's a manual. Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, I think they said they, they destroyed like over a hundred vehicles. 112. Shooting. Yeah. It was a Guinness book of world record for up until the time the movie, maybe more now, but yeah, it was 112 vehicles for a car chase. That is not fast and the furious. Um, I think that is absurd. Yeah, is absolutely absurd. Um, the suits. I just, I hate them. The, the only thing I ever liked about the suits is when I saw this movie back in the day, when it came out, I was like, Oh, we have the potential to do, to adapt to halo. (laughs) Oh, the nativity of, of young me. But, uh, the that, that was the best thing about the suits even snake eyes on the vehicle frustrated me mm. i was like he rode the undercarriage for so long and didn't do shit i was like mike you work on cars there's stuff you can do on, under a vehicle right to sabotage it yeah you can cut a fuel line pretty quickly yeah pretty quickly you could yeah. he could have done so much shit and he doesn't he rides down there hanging out for so long doing nothing until he like I don't know, jacks the tire up or something so that the train hits it. So, so the, that didn't make any sense. I didn't get that part. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. The, the suits are exactly the reason that I do not believe this movie was originally intended to be G.I. Joe. See, I'm going to argue with you. I think it was, but it just was not uh, thought out with any sort of like um, genuine love of the lore. No, no, no. no. So, the, but the, the, the suit to me feels like a leftover piece of an earlier script of something different where the suit was more integral to the, the plot line. When does that suit ever come back? Like they use it in that sequence. And then where's when they go like, yeah, when they go assault the base uh, and they don't bring the suits, they don't bring the suits. That's that's what I'm saying. That's like there's to me, they smack of something that was an idea that was introduced, but they didn't fully understand how to utilize it because it wasn't meant for the script. 
I, I really, I, I'm very, very curious to to dig more into the writing of this movie because I don't believe that this script was meant to be GI Joe. I think that this was something different. And when Hasbro decided that they wanted to roll out something, it, you know, to tag onto the success of, um, uh, you know, monumental triumphs like Transformers and Battleship, uh, we <laughs> we got <laughs> we got this. Um, and it and and like I asked in Battleship, do you think that movie was always supposed to be Battleship? And I I I don't believe that. I and and this is something that happens quite often. It's almost like a congressional thing where you have a bill that they then take all of the words out of and pass the bill by its name, but put new and different words into it. It's very similar where I think that this was a script that they took the living guts out of and stuck in a new IP conceit just to have that. But what made the original script work is no longer present. You just get these weird little leftovers and like the nanotech, the accelerator suits, all of that. It doesn't feel like this was meant to be G.I. Joe. I uh, G.I. Joe looks like it was in development hell for a long time. Like See? all all good mediocre films, they are yeah. in development hell yeah. forever until someone like forces it out. Yep. Uh, did you uh, did you guys look at the IMDb and see like how many people passed up on the role of Duke Hauser? No, a lot. They offered it to a ton of people that didn't do it, and the reason Channing Tatum hated this movie was because basically he got forced into doing it. Did he have like a studio deal, and they're like, "You owe us so many." He had a he had a studio contract and he really didn't want to do this. And he was like the the movie itself. He was like, it was it was fine. It was whatever. He was just like, but the the everything he had to go through to be forced to do this film but left such a bad taste in his mouth. There, there's there's even something about his physique in this movie that reads that way because he doesn't look like Duke to me. He's actually kind of skinny in this movie. And I'm like, I, I want if this is supposed to be a glorious 80s throwback, give me the Chris Evans Captain America build, right? Well, like, we weren't, 2008, we weren't in the, like, 80s nostalgia vein yet. I, I know, but this, it, he just doesn't, he doesn't even look like, I, I feel like a soldier should look. He looks lean, but he does mm-hmm. not look strong in this movie. Yeah. No, I know he, this is a he, minor gripe, but I'm just like, yeah. it, to me, it, to me, it speaks to, he didn't care about the role. No, well, I, I don't think he did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did. And Mortgage. that's what they were like. Okay. Well, we're going to make a sequel. And he's like, Oh, can you just, can you kill me as quick as possible? They're like, all right, we'll kill you as quick as possible. Um, the budget for this film was yeah. $175 million. It sounds like they spent it on those cars that they crashed Definitely. because this movie looks terrible. This movie, this movie is a ton of like blues and grays. Well, and it, I hated this, uh, this era of, of, cinema where it just looks uh, I just I, I don't like it it well it's not even the color palette that bothers me so much it's in watching like the up versions of it it is very clear I don't think that this again I don't think this movie was originally intended to be filmed in 3d I I feels like they 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 did something to to it after I don't know wait did but, you watch it in 3d no I but whatever version I had it was quite clear <clears throat> that there were separate planes in in the so like every, basically everything looked like it was done against a bad CGI green screen 
it, but in okay. every single scene. So there were like hard lines around your actors. And then mm-hmm. you had like a very distant background that almost like breaks the perspective where you're like, that seems like it's further away. The the Joe base, I feel like is especially egregious. It's oh yeah. Real bad. Yeah. Awful. Right at the awful. end when they're all walking towards the camera and they're like, there's okay. the low version. What? Good. No, no, There's yeah, a no. version, and then it cuts to the wide shot, and it's like you guys are not even walking the same speed that the background is moving in. And yes. then it cuts weird... close again, and you're like, "What is going on here?" Yeah, yes. there's a weird cut where it looks yeah. like they're almost doing like that heroic, like slow mo scene, except it's not quite that slow. Yeah, it's weird. And right. then it, it picks up into real speed, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, do parting quips." Tee-hee-hee. Yeah. <laughs> All that scene was missing was like a group high five. <laughs> Um, midair midair they had to jump yes yes yeah. but i think they were going to and dennis Quaid was like no i'm not, I'm not fucking jump high five so we spent 175 million dollars on a bad looking movie doesn't doesn't look great um anybody want to uh, take a shot at what the u.s gross was 50 u.s um okay. u.s gross i'm gonna say it did about the same as the budget i'm gonna say it's right about in there i think it probably did way better overseas than in the u.s Okay, so your your guess is one seventy five on the the U.S. gross. Yeah, I'll, I'll guess. Well, you know what? I'll say one fifty five. One fifty five, Mike. Uh, I'm going to say less than a hundred. Less than a hundred. Okay. Yeah. Uh, U.S. gross one fifty. Oh, hey, hey. Did exactly the same worldwide. Its total oh. global gross was three hundred million for a hundred and seventy five million dollar movie. Um, again, this is this is one of those films that would have had to have made close to half a billion dollars in order for it to be financially successful, and it fell about two hundred million short of that. So, what? Who was like, oh yeah, the world's screaming for a sequel? I don't know. I it, it's it, it is something that makes me wonder if um, like they they had the production started so quick back to back that they were just like well i mean we're oh, already halfway funny. shooting through the, this thing they had the rock attached i this is also so this is an interesting turn of events in recent years i think we're starting to understand that the rock is not actually a box office draw like he is fine in the roles when he's put into the right roles but i think he believed and a lot of people believed he was a reason people would go to the movies so if i had to take a guess they pushed the sequel out with the rock top build thinking that people would be like, Oh my God, the rocks in this one, it's gotta be better. And they went, would rush off to the theaters to see the rock in, in GI Joe. And he's, he just isn't that draw. Okay. In my opinion. Yeah. I enjoy retaliation more than I enjoy rise of Cobra. Interesting. Okay. I actually think it's a better movie. Okay. Um, because, and I think it's because Cobra's established. The Joes are on the run. Uh, I enjoy The Rock a lot of times when he is doing The Rock things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I think I think there was more character development for certain characters. Okay. Even though, you know, most of the cast from the first movie is completely gone. Right. Um, I just, I found it a more enjoyable film than The Rise In- of Cobra. Interesting. Okay. Um, just hang on. Just out of curiosity. Let's see if the world agreed with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they definitely shaved the budget on this one. We go from 175 to 130 on retaliation. Well, there's, no, there's no accelerator suits. There's no accelerator suits. Crashed way few cars. Um, gross 122. Okay. Uh, worldwide 375. So globally, retaliation did better. Yeah, um, people like the Rock in Vietnam. 
did have a worse opening weekend um, yeah. and did worse overall in the U.S., but compared to budget, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, final thoughts on this sucker. Uh, the the let's let's ask the question that we ask this season. Um, and Mike, we'll start with you. Would you like this movie better if it were not G.I. Joe? Yes, would that change was, your opinion? If this it, wasn't yeah. G.I. Joe, if it was just generic action movie, would you enjoy it more? Um, I think it would be the same level of enjoyment. I wouldn't have the passion behind like getting things wrong. So like, okay. it's not that I dislike the movie as a whole. It's one of those you can sit back, not really pay attention to, have on in the background. It's fine. Okay. It's It pains me where they try to make it G.I. Joe. Got it. Right. And it's yep. the lore and everything that's been established for 30 years prior to this was just wrong. Got it. Um, so, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. So you think you would you'd be more OK with this movie if it weren't G.I. Joe? Yeah. I mean, it's not my type of movie that I'd watch anyway, but like like sit okay. back and watch. But thinking like, yes, if it was just, hey, somebody said, hey, you should watch this movie. It's got some funny points into it. It's got so and so in it. And, you know, go watch it. It's like, OK. You OK. Know, I, 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 yeah, I would I would enjoy it. more. Perfectly fair. Yeah. Josh. Yeah, I think uh, this is the perfect popcorn movie you put on the background if you're doing stuff or, you know, if you're scrolling through channels, if you are an old person that has cable like me <laughs> and this is the the weekend afternoon movie that's on. Yeah, just like let it run. It's fine. Again, the cast, I think, is pretty solid. It's a it's a solid cast. Nothing astounding, but they are people that are largely enjoyable to watch. OK, you don't expect Academy Award performances out of it, but they largely deliver what you want. If you, this is a movie that you cannot watch critically mm -hmm, um, no. because you will want to rip your goddamn eyes out. Yep. Um, it, it, God, the dialogue is, is so bad. But um, I think because I am not as familiar with the G.I. Joe lore, um, I was only, you know, I would only get hung up on some of the really like stark fan service moments that. Okay everyone is going to recognize that like made me roll my eyes but otherwise i'm just kind of like I, i'm more critical of it just for what the film is in of, of itself okay um <clears throat> i think that uh i might have agreed with you too prior to watching this film critically now that i have watched it from a critical standpoint um hard no don't enjoy this movie uh like find very little i think at this point that i could actually just i uh, this is one that if it were just on in the background i'd turn it off um like i uh, I, <laughs> I i i i do struggle with this movie now um i i think i had a much different opinion of it uh prior to turning a critical eye on it and now i there there's just so many flaws the the, the dialogue for me is so it's so ham-fisted um and and there are movies that has that have poor dialogue that I enjoy, right? Like Top Gun does not have great dialogue, but yeah. there is something so much more confident about the way that Top Gun plays out its bad dialogue that I think the, makes the movie enjoyable. Streets of Fire does not have good dialogue, but again, it, it it exists in its own kind of weird meta universe where its bad dialogue strangely works for it. This movie, for how seriously it wants to be taken, the dialogue is atrocious. And it is it, it pulls focus for me. And it the, there are so many things about this movie that are so distracting now, um, having watched it critically, that I I don't know that I could enjoy this, whether it was G.I. Joe or not. I think it would just be a D plus action movie um, and uh, one that I'd be like, there, there are better D plus action movies that I could watch. I'd, I'd rather put on Deathstalker than something like this. So, OK, so you said earlier you think The Expendables is actually a pretty decent G.I. Yeah. Joe type movie yeah mike do you have one out there that if, if somebody wants 
I, I think, yeah, Jason. if you want to go watch a, a, a something that is true, probably a more accurate like comic book, because in the comic book, G.I. Joe is Delta Force is what it is, right? It's a mm-hmm. offshoot of Delta Force. So go watch Delta Force from 1985, 1984 with Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin. I Great. think it has a smaller plot, but it's still there's high stakes in that movie. I think it's really good in action. It's got similar kind of f- pseudo futuristic vehicles um, uh, that that. I think just works really well. And and again, it's it's kind of campy and cheesy in its own way, but it's still, you know, it's Chuck Norris, so what else is it going to be? Um, <laughs> but it's still, I think it does it better than any G.I. Joe actually movie has has done except for a movie called G.I. Joe Resolute, which is a cartoon that's meant for adults. That is a really, <laughs> really good movie. I'm actually, I remember hearing about that and hearing really good things about Resolute. Yeah, it's only an hour. Go watch it. It's on YouTube. Oh, cool. Okay. That I'll came out that in out. like, what, 2013? 2012. 2012, 2013, okay. right around awesome. retaliation time, yeah. Yeah. Um, any other, I know you took a lot of notes, Mike, and I'm sure we didn't hit them all. Is there any other points you really want to make sure we hammer home? Mike, like the yeah. fact that this is based off, uh, th- this is supposed to be based off of the comic book <laughs> yeah. version of G.I. Joe. Because we, we came into it, we're like, yeah, it's based yeah. off the toy. That became a, right. a cartoon. What came first? Uh, well, the toy came out and they needed something or they were building the toy and they needed something to advertise it. And some weird laws were like, hey, you can't advertise toys on TV a certain way. And so the way that they got around that was make cartoons for a comic book so they could do us. They sold a comic book. So uh, the toy and the comic book both came out in 82. Cartoons started in 83 with the first miniseries, 84 with the second miniseries and 85 is the, the main series that we all probably know about. That went up okay. to 87 when the movie was, and then it kind of died thereafter. I mean, there was a, another series, but it wasn't that great. The comic book went from 82 to 94 without missing a beat with a bunch of sub comic books and stuff like that. But um, the main thing that I, I would say, and it's kind of alluded to earlier, of Larry Hammer writing these these dossiers and writing um, uh, the file cards is what they were called. But they're essentially dossiers on each character. And you could tell which ones he wrote because they were very well-developed characters. They did this. So one of the characters, uh, Lady J, who's not in this movie, I think she's in the second one, went to Bryn Mawr College, right? And it's uh, apparently it's an all-ladies college, if I got that right. And uh, like you have to be like, it's like an Ivy League like female college. So like, she's super intelligent. And so she uses that in covert ops in G.I. Joe. Like that's kind of her backstory, right? Um, then there are figures and characters that were not written by Larry Hammer. And you can tell that because everything is awesome. Like they're just like, he's the top (laughs) of his class. He speaks every language fluently. He can, you know, go and, you know, go and play hide and go seek and won't be found for two years if he doesn't want to like things like that. Like, like he can, you know, somehow shoot a hundred people with uh, a one round. Like it's just things like that. Those ones weren't written by Larry Hammer and everybody's just the best of the best. This movie clearly wasn't written by Larry Hammer. It's uh, really obvious that everybody's just too good. Scarlet, they reference graduated either college or high school at 12. I'm like, yeah. shut up. No, you didn't. No, no. <laughs> that's not how Scarlet, no, she did not do that. Like, that's stupid. It's, so it's just, it makes the characters not interesting. Um, if you give them a good backstory and a well-developed backstory, which all of is existing, right? It's They just copy it and paste it and put it in the story because it's not like they need to come up with new backstories, but they did. So it's clearly, they were like, hey, Larry Hama, thanks for writing all this for like 30 years. We're not going to use any of it, except for maybe that one piece. Um, and even then, it's not good. Um, 
the the uh, the other part was just it, not so much lore. Just something I noticed is the underwater battle looks a lot like the battle like at the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody just kind of goes back to that template. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is exactly what this is. This is this is Return of the Jedi. And even um, Amanda, when we were watching it last night, she's like, I'm surprised someone hasn't said use the Force Duke and, and at all in this. That would have been hysterical. <laughs> Which oh would have been God. amazing. <laughs> because he does that like flying through the, 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 the things as they're trying to get out the flames and explosions. And I, I just thought that that was uh, that would have been really what a really, missed opportunity. What a missed, missed. opportunity. Yeah, better than all the fan service lines. Oh my god! And, and the the last thing is uh, during the like the the credits when they're going over that like metal thing, all of like the the exposition that's on them and the stickers and stuff that are on it are actually stickers from the toy. And I thought that was kind of a cool touch. And oh, so you oh see, yeah, that that is cool. You see the you see the stickers from several very um, prominent uh, toys or figures. No step, which is on like every GI Joe vehicle. Uh, is in there so it's it, i thought that was some cool fan service but they could have put it somewhere else in the, in the movie but that's my that's kind of my wrap up it it it, it with the source be- source material being so like really deep they just chose so, it's like a superficial crappy version of it to redo um yeah yeah, and yeah. I think this this is something that we have we've talked about is when you have a rich IP like a lot of the mm-hmm. ones that we we've talked about th- this season you you don't need to do anything more than what's already established. And in fact, the people that you probably want to come see this movie just want you to do what has already been established. And so it's, it's always a real shame when they discard the work of, uh, if not greater writers, certainly more practiced writers, right? Like, so like Larry Hamlin may have not been, he, maybe he's not Hemingway, but he did so much for this series and created something that is so uh, it, it is so deep and so rich. Why why didn't you just use that? Right? Because clearly the writers who wrote this movie were not fucking Hemingway. So right. just do what do what your your betters before you have done. Yeah. And so listeners, that is GI Jokes, the Yawn of Cobra. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Uh, next week. It'll be our Nick Cage film. It is our cage match next week. Yes. Oh, man. We we will be uh, watching The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Which feels a little bit more return to form. Like uh, our, our our cage cage film last season was a very interesting uh, turn. And it was it was a, a Nick Cage movie that I wasn't as aware of. And I was glad we watched it. But I'm excited to see Nick Cage uh, back in a just manic role like Sorcerer's Apprentice. So we can we can only hope. <laughs> thank you for tuning in mike thank you for joining us yeah mike thanks so much for for uh ending some or adding some uh authenticity to this uh, thanks guys for having me this was a lot of fun i can't wait to listen to the cage match next week <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we'll uh, talk to you guys next week see you next week